1: Hello once again everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host Clayton Fletcher in New York City where it has been a very busy week both on the virtual felt and in the Twitter streets. I want to start with the uh, latest disastrous tweet by beloved poker personality Marley Cordero. Uh, now, Marley is someone that we have discussed on this podcast a long time ago. Many of you will know her from her many appearances on Poker After Dark. And in the podcast that she co hosted for a short time with Jamie Kerstetter, uh, I believe it was called The Rake, a little of a tip of the cap to our favorite movie, Rounders, in which Edward Norton's character describes women. As the rake. So we had two women discussing poker related issues and other topics. Fairly enjoyable podcast overall. But Marley is, to use a current popular buzzword, problematic. Okay, for example, on May 2nd, she tweeted, When the left gets outraged, it's a good sign you've struck gold. Um, I don't know why she would tweet that. I don't know why we want to try to outrage each other. I believe in a civil discourse. Although, of course, I understand the appeal of pressing buttons in order to get clicks. And I guess that may be what she does. But she very much outdid herself this week when she tweeted something that she has since deleted. But the essence of it was that there are two ways to help women, or I believe she used the word impact women in poker. And one is to get up on a soapbox and complain about injustices. And the other is to put your head down and do well at the game. So, and then at the end, something snarky like, only one of these requires talent, or something like that. Uh, You know, she rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with this messaging, and I decided to engage with her, and I wrote a, uh, a parody of that tweet <laughs> myself because that's kind of how I, as a comedian, like to communicate. But the bigger issue is still whether or not we are welcoming to female players and whether or not we should be welcoming to female players. It seems to be universally accepted that the very low turnout among female players for the World Series of Poker main event is an ongoing problem. Uh, We are very short of solutions. Back in 2015, after a World Series of Poker main event that only had, I believe it was 3.4% of the field being female, I wrote an article for 2 Plus 2 magazine that got a lot of traction within the poker community Uh, about how I believe it's men's fault that there aren't more women playing because when they come, we do things like objectify them or offend them with our lack of personal hygiene (laughs) or any other number of ways that we create a hostile environment for a typical woman to enter. Now, you could say, well, if they want to play a man's game, they need to be able to handle the big boys or some such nonsense. But the fact remains that sort of thinking has resulted in the average 3% turnout for big events like the world series of poker. So I think that's a problem. I've often stated my opinion about this subject. I think that in a game where your physical strength is not to your advantage, Poker should be a level playing field and because of the behavior of men, many female players are turned off to the idea of playing the game so they might go play live a few times and then basically decide that they don't want to do that anymore and find another hobby rather than joining the ranks of the multitudes of players who come to the casino, enter the poker room as a distinct underdog, have a great time anyway, and come back again next week, occasionally winning, but over the long run, losing and making the game more profitable for the more skilled players. So who wouldn't want that? I think that in the long run, we are better off making all of our opponents, both male and female, comfortable in the casino. The bigger point, though, is that I really disagree with Marley's premise that there are only two ways to impact women in poker. That is ridiculous. There are many, many ways to impact women in poker, good or bad. And I strongly disagree with the notion that keeping one's head down and just doing well at the game accomplishes anything good for women as a whole. I think that when you see something, you should say something. If I encounter... Anyone being disrespectful towards a woman at the table, I will speak up. And I often speak up when anyone is being disrespectful to anyone else at all. But I am particularly attuned to the manner in which the rare woman that I encounter in a high buy-in event is treated. Now, maybe this has something to do with the fact that I learned poker from my own mother, And I saw what she went through in the uh, highly sexist world of poker. And I want that to end. So I'm just trying to be the change that I want to see in the world. But when people like Marley make these claims that anyone who seeks to improve women's experience at the felt or defend women who are being unfairly targeted in the game or anything like that is... Somehow just up on a soapbox and not doing any good. You know, I just really disagree with that whole idea. So I had to say something. Now I'm fully aware that most of our listeners to this podcast and most of the poker world as a whole is male. And probably a lot of you guys will disagree with my point here. And you may very well see this whole issue in a completely different way. I want you to know that I respect that and I respect other people's opinions. But when someone makes the type of foolish blanket statement that Marley made this week, uh, I'm definitely going to react to it and you kind of lose a little bit of credibility, at least to me. So everyone feel free to share your thoughts on this important issue that is not getting any better, (laughs) at least uh, numbers wise. We're not doing better at attracting more women or having, a higher percentage of female players in major events. So by that measure, this has been a total failure, even though it's something that at least I've been talking about for over six years now. I want to hear your thoughts. Please share them on Twitter, at Clayton Comic. Feel free to disagree with me, and please do so respectfully. The other big news I wanted to share this week is that I played in one of the biggest buy-ins I've ever done online. I decided to enter the $2,650 Venom PKO that is going on right now on ACR. I entered day 1B and I finished the day with the chip lead. I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone that's planning to listen to our strategy segment today because I will be discussing a hand or two from that event I'm very excited to play Day 2 this coming Monday, which is May the 10th. And I hope that you will join on Twitch. Killing Bird is going to basically live sweat, I guess. (laughs) He's going to follow me around and keep tabs on the action of Day 2. Again, that's this Monday, the 10th of May at 1 p.m., And you can find that on twitch.tv slash killingbird. So yeah, we're hoping that we can get a bunch of people in the chat there. I'm going to try to drop in the chat at least a few times throughout the day to maybe share because you guys won't be able to see my cards. But maybe I can share what I had in certain big spots or whatever. I'm really excited to play. Um, I've already won almost $9,000 in bounties, which is amazing. Um, you know, just for the first day, I must've busted about maybe 12 or 13 players. I think, um, yeah, I ran very pure. I played very well, I think, but I mostly in really all of the key spots where I needed a bit of luck, the poker gods smiled upon me. So that's how you end up with a chip lead in a major online tournament. So a long way to go. I mean, I think this is a three or four day affair. I'm just hoping to play well. And even if I run Half as good as I did last week, Uh, things are going to be just fine. I have something like 300 big blinds to start the day, so it should be a good time. Now, before we get to the strategy segment uh, from that tournament, I wanted to also thank you guys for all of the kind words about last week's interview with Elena Stover. Uh, I've never met her in person. I was familiar with her basically through Twitter which, again, if you guys are not following me on Twitter, you're missing out. I basically asked her to be on the podcast because she's such a good Twitter follow. <laughs> so, you know, be, be on Twitter, guys. Twitter.com slash Comic. This is basically two podcasts in a row that started the conversation on Twitter. The first being Thinking Poker with Andrew Brokus, where if you haven't heard that, a week or two ago, he had me on as a guest and we talked basically just about comedy. Poker kind of came up a little bit on the periphery, but mostly it was a comedy discussion, really about political correctness and comedy. And I think it was a very good example of how to have a civilized discussion with someone, even when the two of you are not 100% in agreement about the topic. So uh, I really enjoyed doing that video, and I hope that some of you have had a chance to to check that out. Over at thinkingpoker.net. So, between that podcast and then, of course, the Elena Stover interview, which also originated as a Twitter discussion, I'm pretty well convinced that my number one source for finding content for this podcast could well be Twitter. <laughs> so, get on there. And if you are a fan of this podcast, we do appreciate you guys leaving a review on. Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you may be accessing your favorite audio content. Those reviews really help a lot. A five-star review and a few kind words can really do a lot in terms of helping us climb the ranks and increase our visibility in the ever-increasingly crowded poker podcast space. So, you guys, we don't charge you for this podcast. We have no plans to turn this into a Patreon-based podcast sort of subscriber model for this podcast. You don't have to be a TPE member to listen to this free content every week. So one way that you can show love is by leaving a good review. All right, now let's get to the hand. So in this hand, we are doing great. We've already collected like three bounties. So we've basically paid for our buy-in at this point. Um, the average stack in this hand is about three hundred and eighty thousand. Uh, you start this tournament with three hundred thousand, and Hero Clayton has nine hundred eighty thousand, and the blinds are thirty-two fifty and sixty-five hundred with a nine fifty ante. Look, I don't. <laughs> I know. I always. Goof off and joke around about these numbers. I don't get it, but I guess if you're online, you can do whatever you want. So who cares? It's not like we have to put the chips in, right? So funky numbers, but basically there is 17,550 in the pot at this eight-handed table. And we have 980. So we have about 150 big blinds. And our M is about 55, 56, somewhere in that range. So, uh, we are in first place at the moment in the tournament. So, obviously, we have our whole table covered. There are a lot of 400-ish stacks around us. The only other really large stack at the table is the Button, who has about 750,000. So... Uh, yeah, we have everybody very well covered and we've been running great. So again, it's eight-handed table. Uh, The first player folds and then a fairly tight player, min raises to th- 13,000 with 450,000 behind and then a very loose and somewhat aggressive opponent on his immediate left in third position, or as you may call it, Under the gun, plus two calls with 280,000 behind. And then the very next player. So we've got second position, raise. Third position, call. And now in fourth position, a good, somewhat loose, aggressive, but definitely uh, winning, tough tournament player, raises. To 55,250 with another 410,000 behind. The action from there folds to hero in the big blind holding pocket queens. Now, this is a very difficult spot, in my opinion. Number one, late registration is still open. So if you are inclined to go with this, and just 3-bet, get it in, or just shove right now. Maybe you run into aces or kings or have a flip against ace-king. Nothing else is usually going to call. Maybe jacks once in a while, but mostly those are the hands that will give you action, and you will take it down some of the time. But, you know, we've built up this big chip lead. We've got all these opponents expressing interest in this pot from early position. To me, queens don't look all that good. Maybe I could make a case for just getting it in here pre-flop and trying to collect some more bounties, Uh, but the players have the minimum bounty, which I believe in this event was $625. It's still relatively early in the event, so it's not like there's a big bounty out there for me to collect, although my bounty is looking pretty good (laughs) right now because I've collected a few already. Uh, Of course, no one can bust me because I'm the chip leader, but that's neither here nor there. Again, I don't think it's a mistake to three bet or I should say four bet, get it in or just shove here. The, The stacks are such that I could lose half my stack and still be above the average stack right now because I have accumulated so many chips already. And, you know, Queens is the third nuts. So you can't say it's a mistake to do that. I decided to take a more conservative route. And the main reason is simply that it's hard to get action from worse. Although collecting all this dead money when the Queens are good is nice. I'd rather play a little deep stack poker when I have the best hand. So I decided to call, not really sure where I'm at and planning to probably fold If the original Razor, the the most solid, tight player, decides to 4-bet. So that's what I did. I just called. And then the original Razor, the tight player, folds. And the player behind him in third position calls. So we're going to see a flop three ways. Hero holding pocket queens. And with 190,000 in the middle, the flop comes 9 Five deuce with two spades. Again, hero with the queen of diamonds, queen of spades. So actions on us. I don't think we have a leading range. I mean, I guess you could, but for me, the pot is so big compared with the stacks. Like there's 190 in there, and one of my opponents has 217 behind, and the other has 420 behind. So nobody has an SPR of greater than two and a half. So I'd rather check. And if the money's got to go in, it's going in. This is a really good flop for our hand. And if we happen to be behind aces or kings, it's going to be very hard to get away from the Queens. I think impossible, in fact. So I decided to check. My opponents both check as well. Now, this is a really great sign that the Queens could be good. It is very unusual for someone who has three bet before the flop to see a nine five deuce with two spades flop, have it checked to him and check behind. So I really didn't know what to make of it, but I thought it was highly unlikely that he could beat Queens. I mean, even if he had pocket aces with the ace of spades, does he really want to check it back? and be trappy with it, with two opponents in a PKO. Like in these tournaments, when you have the best hand, you try to get your opponents to go all in so you can collect their bounties. Uh, I think by checking back here, he's basically announcing that he's got a hand like Ace King. So maybe a great player would have a, a strong hand or two in his checking behind range, but I really felt that I could discount that possibility somewhat. And when everybody checked that flop, I felt pretty darn good about my pocket queens. Now, the turn comes the jack of spades. So our board is now 9-5-deuce jack with three spades. And this card gave me a flush draw to the queen to go with my overpair pocket queens. I decided to lead... Um, I'm committing to this pot. I'm not planning to fold. I just wanted to try to get a little action from a hand like Ace-King with the Ace or King of Spades that now picked up a flush draw, uh, possibly Ace-Jack could be in the middle player's range. He is a very loose, aggressive, kind of fishy guy, so... I thought that he could actually have Ace Jack and just called twice with it before the flop. So, yeah, those are the kind of value targets here. Maybe a hand like pocket tens, especially tens with the 10 of spades, might be tempted to call a small bet. So, because I'm targeting a relatively weak range to give me action, I had to downsize my bet. And so I made it just 57,000 into the 190 pot. So, less than one third of the pot and my opponent, my first opponent folded and the original three better called. So now I think he's going to call with a pretty wide range. And I believe that a typical opponent in this type of tournament, a higher stakes buy-in like main event type of scenario on ACR. Most of these players, their strategy from early middle position After an early position raise and an early position call, would generally be very much value heavy for three betting, especially three betting relatively small as he did. I felt like his range was mostly high pairs and ace king. So, what am I really getting action from with my little bet? I'm hoping he's got pocket tens, right? I mean, that's if he's got a pair, I'm hoping it's pocket tens. Otherwise, I want him to have. Two high cards, one of which is a spade. So, I'm happy that he called, but I'm still a little bit unsure of where I stand. And mind you, I didn't make my life any easier by underrepresenting my hand in the first place. Although I think I still stand by my rationale for not four betting before the flop. So here we go. The river comes the ten of clubs for a final board of nine, five, deuce, jack. 10 with three spades again hero with the pocket queens including the queen of spades so to bet or not to bet my opponent has a little more than a pot size bet left here on the river he's also got that all-important progressive bounty at 625 dollars that i could possibly collect if i managed to bust him so i check and he bets one hundred and twenty thousand into the three hundred thousand pot, and he's got another two forty-ish behind. So he puts in a third of his stack, which is a little more than a third of the pot. And I'm really torn here. I mean, it felt like it could be pocket tens. So his value range, if my assessment of his pre-flop three betting range is close he's value betting here when he has a set most likely a set of tens the way things have gone or when he has aces or kings that he has played in a very strange way thus far so I couldn't really find too many reasons to check shove on him here because he's either bluffing with an ace high type of hand that missed a flush and can't call a shove. Or he's value betting with, I can't think of a hand that he's value betting that I can beat. So I decided to just call as much as I wanted to collect another bounty. I decided to just call. And to my surprise, my opponent turned over the ace of clubs, jack of diamonds. So a pretty aggressive three bet from early middle position pre-flop. And then he had to kind of play it slow, not knowing exactly where he stands on the turn when he makes a pair of jacks with no flush draw. And then when I checked the river, he decided to go for value with a top pair hand. But even there, I'm not sure that he's calling a shove for all of his chips, because what can he beat that I play that way? thought that was a pretty interesting spot. Maybe I somehow could have played it differently and collected that bounty. But what really struck me about it was how hard it actually is to estimate a range. You know, I didn't have ace jack in the range there. I think that most players would actually fold ace jack when it goes raise call early early. I know I do. Maybe I'm too tight. I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how far I take the importance of position. I have no problem folding ace-jack after two players on my right have opened from early position. Opened and called, I should say. So, I don't know. Apparently that's just me because this player decided to go for it, but then having gone for it, he wasn't really sure how to proceed. And he ended up kind of taking himself to value town, I guess, with top pair there on the river. I mean, I suppose that my underwrapped hand in the big blind, I could have a Jack. I could have one pair and call right? if I had like ACE 10, a lot of hands that I could actually call that he is beating on the end. But when he makes that little value bet on the river, if I do check raise and go for the bounty, am I ever really going to get it? I think that this player would have folded, but we'll never know. And that's not really the point of the exercise anyway. I hope you enjoyed the hand, and I hope that you will join us on twitch.tv slash KillingBird on Monday, May the 10th, 2021, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. That's when it all kicks off. I'm going to try to join in the chat and say hello to everyone and, and thanks for the good vibes and everybody rooting for me. This tournament is going to have a guaranteed prize pool of at least $5 million, including the bounties and I've already taken a small piece of that pie and I'm very hungry for more. That'll do it for this episode. Hope to see you guys on Twitch on Monday. And so for everyone here at tournament poker edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.
0: In Texas, place Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Luck and in, intuition, play the cards with patience, to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart The place. I want to roll with her, a hot we will be While little gambling is fun when you're with me Russian roulette is not the same without a gun And baby, when it's if it's not rough, it isn't fun